Hello and welcome to Walt Love Podcasting. We are back from our few weeks stint away. And we are back to talk about uh, Galaxy's Edge. Mike and I had the privilege to visit Galaxy's Edge. Josh had the privilege to watch us complain on Twitter about Galaxy's Edge and soak up the sun in Florida while we were out there. Uh, with you today is me, Brett Schmoofy on Twitter, along with me, Josh, easyww.com, a great site. And me, Mike, with blogmickey.com. <laughs> right to hell with all of you. <laughs> so, uh, of course, Galaxy's Edge, Galaxy's Edge, Galaxy's Edge. Opened at Disneyland on May 31st, 2019. It will be opening up at Disney's Hollywood Studios on August 29th, 2019. A few month difference, and Disneyland didn't just open it to the public and release the hounds. Uh, They did a reservation system, and it worked out, you know, very well as we were concerned over there. They did a bunch of free ones, and then if you had a resort stay, you also were included one of those guaranteed during your stay at the Disneyland Hotel or Grand Californian or Paradise Pier. And these four-hour blocks of reservation windows were amazing. <laughs> they were um, just an open four-hour window. You're allowed into the land. You have access to all the land's amenities. And then after the four hours is done, you are, you know, to leave the land. There were no issues trying to, like, kick anybody out of the land. People were very satisfied after four hours and just left themselves. At that point, uh, you do have a wristband on your wrist. And you'll not be allowed into any of the shops or amenities. Uh, you will need to be basically leave the land to continue having fun with your day. So this reservation system worked very well for Disneyland. And as far as we've been told, it will not be happening at Disney's Hollywood Studios. We were kind of worried that the reservation system would still be chaotic at Disneyland and not really work too well. And it worked really well. So it begs the question of how can they implement that at Disney World, if that's even possible at this point. Well, it worked well because you had a reservation. Mm-hmm. Yes. The fact is that the vast majority of people were unable to get reservations. Yeah, you're right. And it's kind of like it's it's kind of like when you have to book 180 days in advance, right? You had to do the work up front. We had to be on the reservation system ready to go. I think it was May 2nd or May 1st? May 2nd. May 2nd. You had to be ready to go. They all sold out. I'm using sell here as just a general term. Of course, they were free. But they were all gone within two hours. Opening day was gone, obviously, quicker than that. So it worked out well because we got lucky. But to your point, Josh, I don't think that Disney World can bank on people just being lucky for their once-in-a-lifetime trip or whatever it is here. Whereas over in Disneyland, it's a lot different because they have the local culture. They have that sort of deal where if people didn't get in on opening day, maybe they're okay being their opening week. Maybe they'd be okay being their opening month, or maybe they just have to wait until June 24th. June 24th, of course, is the day that the reservations will stop at Disneyland and the land will be open access permitting availability. But yes, if you got a reservation, the whole entire day was very smooth. We ended up opening day basically looked like us getting out of the hotel at 4 a.m. to be able to get to the promenade by... 4.30 to be one of the first few hundred guests into Disneyland. There were people lining up since midnight or even before. Um, by the time we actually got into the park, we realized that a lot of those people were actually there just for merchandise and they were put into a separate queue than the people who had 8 a.m. reservations. But the the worry of people camping out for two, three, four, five days a week, whatever it may be ahead of time, was immediately relieved with the reservation system in Disneyland, which won't be present or at least right now, hasn't been announced for Disney World. 
A little backtrack on that too. I mean, Mike mentioned that there are lines of people outside the park were mostly for merchandise. Because without a land reservation, there was no point in waiting around. The social media and advertising campaigns that said you need a reservation to get into the land, it worked. People listened. Yeah. Figure that one out. It seemed to be quite effective in making sure that people don't line up in the hopes of getting some sort of standby access. Because so far they have had no standby availability. And I think that they're going to stick to their guns on that. Uh, through June 23rd until, you know, open availability on the 24th. Um, and that's been very, very effective. And not only people keeping people away from the Galaxy's Edge entrance and the cast members who have to patrol or to monitor that entrance, but the park as a whole too, Disneyland as a whole. And that first few days that we were there was dead. There was nobody there. This all sounds like a failure to me. Why Dis- does it sound Disneyland like a saw record low attendance for that week. They did. You're yeah. right. Disneyland record low attendance. The people who wanted to get in couldn't get in to the point where the land was also dead because people booked these reservations that they weren't going to use to the point where now, like, I have a reservation that I'm not going to use next week. They sent me an email asking me if I wanted to add five people to my reservation. So they're increasing capacity potentially by five times because so many people who signed up didn't go and they never asked me like I signed up thinking that I might be able to go like I would guess a lot of people signed up thinking well I might be able to pull this off but I can't and they never asked me if I could so I'm not sure why I never got a follow-up email asking me if I'm sure but instead of doing that they're just inviting us to do if I want to add all these people which i don't because i don't have any friends it was good if you got to get in but you're talking about a minuscule number of people and the people who had the best time also had multiple reservations people who got in every single day for a week and got to do absolutely everything had a good time but as far as the people who had one chunk less good of a time and all the people who couldn't get in and just completely gave up it must have been like record low sales throughout that entire park, except for all the people buying merchandise to resell. Which is crazy. The amount of resellers out there is, I mean, we talk about it here. It is insane over there. But the wait times were across the park were minimal. I mean, even in the land, after the first hour of East Reservation Wave, the smugglers run the Falcon ride only got down to maybe a 15, 20 minute wait. It was a basically a walk-in by the time we got through the queue. But you're right. I mean, opening the biggest, the literally the biggest land in Disney Park's history at the most popular theme park destination in the world, well, arguably that's Magic Kingdom, I think, mm-hmm. not Disneyland. Regardless, Disneyland is still always busy, even on weekdays. Mm-hmm. You mix in this huge opening, a weekend, a holiday weekend, I think, no, the weekend before was, and nobody was in that park. So I can see how you think it's a failure. And I'm sure the park, you know, management, the executives who are looking at the bottom lines of numbers. Yeah. 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 I'm sure that they're looking at it as a failure as well. But all of us as theme park fans are looking at it as, wow, they handled it really well. There will be no more pleasant time to visit than opening week. And that's going to be, that's going to be a, a complete 180 and a complete difference from Hollywood Studios where I don't think that they can pull this off. I don't think that they can pull off the, hey, you need to have a reservation in order to even enter the land. It's a different crowd here. So I don't, I don't think that they can pull that off 
there will be times, of course, where the land closes for capacity, and then they might hopefully will introduce a virtual queue of sorts um, because waiting three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten Hagrid's Magical Adventure Motorbike was terrible. So I don't think that they can pull that off at Hollywood Studios. I think that they want to let people enjoy the rest of the park. But it- <laughs> <laughs> no, you'd hope, but to to close off basically close off Disneyland for business was was great for the people who were lucky enough to get in. Like to your point, Josh. Well, Disneyland only has the three hotels, so it's easy for them to guarantee entrance. And they tried to do it with allowing one four-hour block per reservation. People might book two, three, or four nights, and they get one reservation. But, of course, people were booking individual nights to get individual reservations. But Disney World has 25-plus resorts. We've got 30,000, 40,000 rooms, 80, 90, 100,000 people staying on property. You can't guarantee 100,000 people entrance into a land that holds without rise of the resistance 8,000 at the most, maybe. Um, probably. Um, the whole resistance forest area was completely dead when we went, obviously without rise of the resistance functioning at all, there was very little reason to be there except for the initial wave of people who entered through critter country. If you were anything but the 8am reservation, you would enter through critter country they would kind of cue you and stage you there until, you know, the countdown, literal countdown in some cases would, would happen for the mad rush to Ovis Cantina and to Savi's workshop and to Millennium Falcon. Having that many resorts here to try and guarantee, you say that they can't do that, but they are in effect trying to guarantee some sort of access into the land with these extra, extra magic hours at Walt Disney world. So while it's not an explicit reservation system, it is to some extent a reservation system if you're allowed this early access into the land, no? Well, for those first nine or 10 weeks, you're absolutely in business if you're staying on site and you can get there before nine. But if we're estimating the land capacity at 8,000 and we're thinking that there's 8,000 people on site and attendance is going to be over 40,000 people a day easily, that land is going to fill up before the park opens. Oh my God, it is. And from there, what do you do with the rest of the people? Because unlike Disneyland, there isn't even, there aren't 50 attractions. Like you, you can laugh about how there's nothing to do at Hollywood Studios. Yeah. I'm a, I could talk for an hour about how that's not true. Maybe it's a little bit devil advocate. But you can have a great day at Hollywood Studios. Maybe not if all the shows recently, but there's almost nothing there that isn't worth your time. In my opinion, I know that people are laughing. There's a family of like driving down from Tennessee. Right. Just can't believe what came out of my mouth. They're trying right. to get here for their turf club reservation tonight. Yeah. So if, if that land is full by nine in the morning, that's going to be crazy. Which it will be. But I, I think that the land can hold more than the 8,000. Like, like, where are they going to go? That's there's, the thing is, 50 people can be in Savvy's workshop. 248 can be in the cantina. 50 can be in the droid thing. Uh-huh. That's three quarters of the attractions. Yeah. Falcon, a couple have, hundred in the marketplace. Are, are you trying to argue with me that 
Disney executives won't look at all the dead space and resistance forest and be like, we can fill in all available space. They absolutely can. And they will. Because they're going to be filled in on Grand Avenue in August. Yeah. With no cover. You think there's no cover in Toy Story Land? Wait for the holding area for Galaxy's Edge. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, with that being said, though, I mean, you're saying fill in all the available space. Uh, the lead Imagineer on the project, Scott Trowbridge, was mm-hmm. that right? He did say that if somebody has a bad time in a land, what was the point? So I don't... I, has he been to Hollywood Studios? <laughs> bad well, time in a land, not a park. <laughs> has he been to Hollywood Boulevard, arguably a land? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. The recursion, recursion, recursion. So actually, I want to talk about Scott Trowbridge a little bit because he was also the lead... Um, creative guy for a lot of the Harry Potter stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was kind of poached by Disney to come over and do the Star Wars stuff. And he understands that the guest experience, the initial guest experience matters. And there's no doubt that for the people who got into Galaxy's Edge, they had a wonderful time and the initial guest experience for that land was 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10, 10 out of yeah. 10 for a lot of the people. So much so that some of the people were even saying, okay, I've done it all. And I'm not going to stay here for my full four hours. Yeah, no. A lot of um, people we talked to that after the three hours, like when they started letting the second wave in at 11 a.m., they were gone and done. Yeah. So there's a huge difference between that and say, you know, we're a Disney-focused podcast, but the Hagrid's opening experience here this past week has not been great. So the question is, does Disney look at what happened in Disneyland and say, that yeah, that was a phenomenal experience for the people, for the lucky few, or does Disney just kind of throw us to the wolves, kind of like what Universal did at Hagrid, and say, wait 10 hours? Well, the thing with it, though, is that when you're going to be waiting for the Millennium Falcon, at least the Millennium Falcon was working. <laughs> yeah. Can't really say that about Hagrid. Hagrid, especially the first day, a lot of maintenance issues and, of course, weather issues the first and second day. And at least at this point, you do know that over at Disneyland, at least, Millennium Falcon is running. It's running well. Everybody's be able to get one, two, three plus rides on during their time. So when it opens here in Florida, it should have no problem operating. I say that, but then I look at our Florida operations here and it's like, uh. But you guys had a bad time at Oga's Cantina. Correct. Poor service. Correct. Well, the poor service kind of stems from they tried to be in theme. Mm. But okay, so imagine you go to your local sports bar. If you're in Florida, you go to Ale House. Imagine if all the TVs in Ale House were turned up to 100% on their volume level. People are trying to still have full conversation, so they're screaming over each other, which also means that the servers need to scream at you to understand your order. You need to scream things back. And then th- they're trying to be in character and be, be quote-unquote vile scum of the Star Wars universe. So they're trying to, you know, say your name wrong. They call me Breets instead of Brett's. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, the stupid things that would work if it was, you know, a nice quaint atmosphere and not this loud, crazy bar atmosphere. It was just it was an overall miserable experience. So you're that family that goes to Whispering Canyon Cafe, not knowing they're supposed to be rude to you and gets up in a huff that everybody's mean, <laughs> even though you, knew, you even know you're going into the cantina. It's a mean bar with mean people in but it. I couldn't hear them being mean over the sound of me being a fanboy over Rex on the other side of the room. There, I'll, I'll say this. There's a, there's a much, the, the experience was a lot different and they did not nail the being mean 
aspect of their performance like they would at Whispering Canyon. Whispering Canyon, you get it eventually. Here, you just got the feeling that they were overworked. They didn't get enough credits. They they were angry that you were using the 45 minutes that you got to sit in the chair. Josh, we had to pay for, we ordered our drinks and paid for them and tipped at the same time before we even got our drinks. Up front, you tip on service before it even happens. It's like ordering a pizza. You tip on pizza? Because <laughs> I sure I, didn't at Ogas. Well, on Lyft Uber, I can tell you that much. <laughs> after your after your experience is finished. Yes, Cantina right? has an official fire capacity of two hundred and forty eight people in California. Right. It is enormous. Well, it's not really that big. That's the issue. No, it is two hundred and forty eight people. The thing is, they, everybody who goes to the Galaxy's Edge wants to go to the Cantina. I would like to pay for a fire marshal. To go in there and look and see how bad 248 people looks in there. Will it have the is same there... fire code in world? Sure, why not? Who cares? But what Are you saying more people can fit? I'm saying that they try to fit more people in there. They really do. They, we were a party of six when we went in there the first time. They gave one of us elbow space at the bar and told the rest of us to line up behind them. And elbow your way in. And elbow your way not in. Not even joking. That's how we were greeted entering the bar. That was our first experience with Galaxy, with, with August Cantina. As we were given out of the six, we were given one person to have enough space to put their elbow on the countertop at the bar, and the rest just line up behind them. There was no counter space. There was no. It's not big enough with nobody in the land, this great land where you could do whatever you wanted. There was no space to get a drink. That's correct. And now they're going to open this up to everybody is a free for all. I think part of the allure with it with Disneyland, though, is that this is the first time that any guest can get alcohol inside of Disneyland with Alcoholic Club 33. At studios, that is not the case. That's part of the allure. That's like 15% of the allure. The other 85% is the fact that you get to sit down in a tattooing-style looking cantina that you've always wanted to as a Star Wars fan and get a blurg fire, get a, a yub nub or whatever it is. Blurg fire? Isn't that, wasn't that one of the drinks? I don't, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say it was. No, no, I'm yeah. sure you didn't see it on the oh, menu. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's also talk about that for a second while we're on it. Yeah. You're, you're, it's a two drink max. It doesn't matter if it's alcoholic or not. If you order two non alcoholic drinks, that's your max. Just bring a disguise. <laughs> yeah. We tried. <laughs> it didn't work. So, but, but ultimately, they're. <laughs> I put on the robe. You did not see me in this earlier. Yeah. But ultimately, the cantina space is too small. They cut out the table service in both Disney World and Disneyland, thus driving up the demand for something like the cantina potentially more than it would have been if there was a table service to soak up those people it's a mess we were there we were there the first four days we saw three different approaches to operation between just free for all people running in there between a text return system and between a card being handed out as a, as a return or as a save my space in line system they're really working through their different operational approaches to this so much to the point that I spoke with a gentleman um, from Walt Disney world research who was there. I spoke with him about for about maybe a half an hour to 40 minutes about my thoughts on the cantina and about why it was so overrun with guests. I said, obviously I'm the wrong person to ask him that California local, you know, California locals can speak to that. The fact that they love lining up the lines. I told him, I said, since we've been talking, we've been here for 15 minutes talking. I said, do me a favor and turn around. 
Look at look behind you. Or mind you, he's talking to me not in the cantina line, but in the line that was or the, the group that was forming outside of the cantina line across the street. I said, look behind you. There are 15 people who have lined up behind you who have no idea what they're in line for. They just saw a group of people lined up and they wanted to join that line. That's the local culture in California. Sure enough, he turned around to the people. He said, hey, what are we all in line for? They said, we have no idea. We saw you guys line up. We thought about lining up. It's weird. Yeah. But do I think that that's going to be exclusive to California? The fact that people are just lining up and have to get into the cantina? No, they're going to do the same thing here. So they're going to have operational challenges here too that hopefully they can work out at Disneyland before it opens in Walt Disney World on the 29th of August. Well, we knew it was going to be bad. <laughs> it but seems like Disney it, didn't. Is it even worse, though? Like, to build a lightsaber at Savvy's Workshop, 14 people can build a lightsaber at a time, and it takes 25 minutes. Yep. So there's a capacity of, like, 30 to 40 lightsabers an hour. And you can only bring in yourself who's building and then one other person. So if you are two parents with one child, one of those parents is going to be outside waiting. Or worse, you're one parent with two kids. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're out of luck. There's nothing you can do in that situation. So I think that there, and this is going to sound like me trying to find a silver lining here, but I think there are two rooms at Savvy's. They were only using one while we were there. Driving up the hourly capacity to a full 84 people. Well, that would, <laughs> that would be good if there are... If there is another room in there, that's good news. I think there are. There's, there's an extra door when you enter, and there's an extra door when you exit that I've looked, I haven't seen anybody enter or exit yet, perhaps at the a lack of a performers or whatever. But if those doors are actually operational for a second room, then you're looking at 84 people as opposed to 42 an hour. Either way, it's horrendous. Well, 42 sounds optimistic, even. 40, 42 is basically 14 people, three cycles an hour. It's a 20-minute show. Yeah. But, which is optimistic. If optimistic. they can fit, yeah. So you look at that, but you also look at like Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique, especially at Magic Kingdom. Can you be a forty-year-old nerd at Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique? How many eight-year-olds have two hundred dollars to spend? <laughs> no, but it's always full. Yeah, it. Savvies, they're going to need to go to a reservation system similar to BBB for Savvies, hundred percent. Hmm. And if you had that reservation, and if you prepaid for it ahead of time, that would take a lot of the issue off the entire queuing process there. You walk up, check with the reservation, you get your, um, so they actually, what they do to know which um, position or what, what they call it, which group lightsaber that you're building. Oh, they, I don't know. Which theme lightsaber. With theme lightsaber. Yeah. They give you one of the four themed pins yeah. so that when you approach, they know which station to put you at and which crystal to give you. Well, what they do is, they, so when you walk into the experience, you go to any station that's there, they look at the pin that's on your uh, on your shirt or whatever. And then they put the correct tray in front of you. Yeah. yeah. So if you prepay ahead for ahead of this, they know exactly what they need for the day. Not if, oh, oh, you're saying if it's a bit of a type situation. Yeah. So it, it's not a matter of if you prepay, you have to prepay. You can't walk in there and be like, yeah. Oh, I didn't like the lightsaber that I built. I, I, I'll give it back to you. Well, guys. you need to prepay as it is there, but you yeah. prepay outside. So there's a register. So if you remove that register, you remove some of the portion of the queue and staffing, or they'll, they'll still need the staff, don't get me wrong, but okay. you remove that entire like, roadblock that's holding people up no they'll have it they'll have it of course yeah they'll have any standby potential but you do a little prepaid ahead of time bbb has so few rooms it works it's just as expensive if not cheaper i don't think they're going to do a call ahead reservation system that's a good idea if yeah but wizarding world never did it with the 
wand experience. Wand experience and Jedi training, not anymore, but for a long time was a huge hassle to sign up, and they never did that. So I, a reservation system, be able to book it in advance, would be great. But <laughs> so I'd be people who can. I'd be surprised. Well, I I wonder if they if they can do sixty or seventy lightsabers an hour for twelve hours. That's almost a thousand lightsabers a day. Mm-hmm. That seems like enough to me at two hundred dollars. And and it's tough to to speak towards this because again we were in the first uh, wave of the first day. We were in the first four or five days. The demand, the, the type of people who are going in there, the demand that they're putting out is maybe not going to be the same demand as when the land opens. Maybe it will be. Um, well, they're not children at Disneyland. You're talking mid twenties people all doing these lightsaber experiences. And don't get me wrong. Every 40, 50 year old nerd is going to want to do a lightsaber. They are heavy. They are metal. They are It's so darn cool. Mm -hmm. Looking at it, it's like, Oh, $200 to build a lightsaber. I can just walk into mouse gear at Epcot and build one for 35. No, you're going to want to spend the $200 and you're going to think you got value from the 200 because it is that darn cool. I don't think they need what most podcasting to sell these $200 lightsabers for them. They're selling themselves at this point. That's a cool experience. It's an issue to tell Disney here. Because, I mean, at this point, even you can enter with a reservation right now into Galaxy's Edge any of the past week. And people are saying that they haven't been able to get in line for Savvy's because it is full capacity for the day. So Disney won't even take your money. It's like, I want you to take my money, please. So you're looking at, if if we're talking about demand in this four-hour reservation window... You're looking at Savi's workshop potentially selling out or having enough guests coming back for that entire window for that four hour window to sell out within anywhere between five to 15 minutes, typically about 10 minutes. Um, for August Cantina, you're looking at that selling out or being full within the first 30 minutes of your reservation window. So those are the, that's the type of demand that we're seeing for these two locations with a limited amount of people allowed into that land at Disneyland. Um, so who knows what it's going to be like when it's a free-for-all. We'll, we'll learn, obviously, a lot more on June 24th, but I'm assuming that that, that Galaxy's Edge is going to fill to capacity within the first 30 minutes to an hour of park ops. Are they going to open would... a bar at 6 a.m.? Yeah, why not? They got, they got, they got, they got breakfast foods. <laughs> so the issue we ran into with it as well is that with these early 8 a.m. reservations at Disneyland, the 8 a.m. to 10 o'clock time period August Cantina would not be serving the regular menu of drinks. They would only be serving the few breakfast items. Serving breakfast at breakfast. That's yeah, crazy. But, I mean, if what you're it, half of your reservation period, you can't get the full menu. And that, yeah, that's that's a limitation with the four hour reservation that you don't you don't have the opportunity to potentially to have the full experience if you're looking for an alcoholic version. But that's that's a that's a Disneyland problem. That's a four hour blogger. You guys went in at eight in the morning to try to buy the whole menu, and they told you to come back in two hours. Oh, we could buy the menu if we wanted to. We could walk in there with forty of our friends <laughs> and have the two two drink minimum, and only barely be able to buy everything that's there. It's, but somehow you managed, and for that, we thank you. I didn't get the bloody rancor. But who cares about breakfast? Like, like, like Brad said. On a side note, the Ronto roaster is good. Like, let's talk about food now that we're already in this food situation. The There's one restaurant in the land. Well, technically, I guess three, but there's one restaurant in the land. Docking is restaurant the right word? Quick service food and beverage location. People are going to say that I can't pronounce Disney. 
you don't get to call the quick service a restaurant. Uh, Docking Bay 7. So Docking Bay 7 does breakfast. Um, we are very worried that a similar situation is going to happen there, like happened at uh, Satuli Canteen. Satuli Canteen. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So, so the, the breakfast there was actually pretty decent. Quite good. Yeah. Quite good. But there was nobody, nobody in there for breakfast. Mm-mm. And then during the later time periods, uh, especially for going towards dinner time, especially going for maybe five o'clock till at least 10 o'clock at night, you're waiting 30, 45 minutes to even get in to order your food. Mm-hmm. There is not a large seating area inside or outside. It's not going to be enough at world. Like screwed. <laughs> There's literally a little, they, they tape a switchback outside of front of docking base seven yep. for people to stand there. And, and Brett, you're not wrong. It's until 10 PM because we're watching the fireworks that go off at nine, nine 30. And there are still people standing in that line. It's crazy. And I asked the cast member or the Batuian who was there putting tape down. I said, so this is like the third day you're doing this. When are you going to get proper stanchions? And he looked at me dead in the eyes and he said, never. No. They don't put stanchions there. No stanchions in space. No stanchions. There's not. But there are at Ronto Roasters, so you're fine. Yeah, there are some stanchions at Ronto Roasters. Well, there's a difference between the forest and the morocco it's next to each other so so let's discuss this for you because you're going to enjoy this so the bright sun's breakfast is basically like an americana breakfast platter at docking base seven you get a nice big pork sausage it's a full pork sausage you get a cheesy egg puff you get a potato hash that's really good with some crazy mushrooms mixed in and you get a little of the mustafarian uh cinnamon roll just a little mini one and that's 10.99 if you add an additional $1.50, you can go next door to Ronto Roasters, get the same pork sausage with some egg, cheese, spicy sauce, and a pita for $1.50 more. 1.5 1. credits. And that's what you should do? You should get the no. little? No. It, it's crazy. I, I don't even know how to explain it. The Ronto Roaster <laughs> breakfast wrap. It, it, <laughs> yeah, no, horrible, horrible. So it's the same sausage, but you're paying more. You get more for less in Docking Bay 7. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It checks out. Yeah. It's crazy. But it's like an odd way to get there. So docking bay seven breakfast is where you should go. Yeah, absolutely. If you're looking for a deal. But let's yeah. be honest. Who isn't looking for a bargain? <laughs> but that <laughs> plant based green beverage. But that morning Ronto wrap is so good. So I'm gonna make it your three hours in the land. Think about the Ronto wrap that you missed. The morning Ronto yeah, wrap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, <laughs> which is why I don't think breakfast will last, but who knows? Well, if people are going to be in there from 6 a.m., breakfast is going to last oh, at will. least until November 2nd, which is when that earlier extra, extra magic hours goes away. Food is, food is fine in Galaxy's Edge. I don't think that it's anything crazy or outstanding. The, 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 I, I was not a fan of either the green milk. That's gonna change by the time we get here. There's, there's no way that, that people are. Gonna Anybody play. who liked the blue milk is an absolute liar. Or green milk. The green milk is even more vile. So I put this on Twitter, but imagine if you've had blue Powerade, right, Josh? So imagine if you added like some dairy creamer to blue Powerade. You mean non-dairy creamer? Non-dairy creamer, the, like the powder. Right. You mixed it in, and then put it through like Coke slushy machine, so it comes out like a slushy. That's what it tastes like. Are we adding vodka? No. 
That's, Probably that's maybe at Disney World. So that's what part of the interesting thing is that in Docking Bay 7, there's three unique beverages. There's Moof Juice. There's two of these other crazy. There's Batu Kombucha. There's something that tastes like an Arnold Palmer. And then there's three unique beverages over at Ronto Roasters as well that you are drinking it. And you can't help think that, wow, this would go great with some vodka or this would go great with some rum. That's probably going to happen at World. It can't happen at land. So call it right now, boys. What do you think the likelihood is that they change the recipe for blue and green milk before it comes here? Because I'm going on the record. I don't care how bad it is. There is a 0% chance the recipe changes. I think so. I, I don't think it'll change. I think that they are very happy in what they've achieved. And I don't think that they have proper taste buds, but I think that they are happy with how it looks on Instagram and that's all they care about. I also use the word achieved in the same fashion that they would with, with regards to blue milk and green milk. Um, no, I don't think that they're going to change it. They need to, um, but I don't think that they will. I think that they've, they've gone on record multiple times um, as saying that this is the, maybe the best that they could have done. And... <laughs> And the fact that they've worked, they've worked hard on creating this concoction. They would give you your money back, wouldn't they? Yeah. If you didn't like it? Yeah, if you go oh, back sure. and say, this is really gross. If you take two sips and you say, hey, this is terrible, and hand it back to them, there's a chance that nobody does that. No. But you could, and maybe you should, for everybody's sake. Like, if we had done that with Little Foods Brew, we wouldn't still be sucking down frozen apple juice with marshmallow. LaFou's brew is a culinary achievement compared to (laughs) (laughs) nobody likes LaFou's brew but they still brought it over from California knowing that nobody liked it and nobody orders it in California is Red's Apple Freeze or something Red's Apple Freeze in Carson yeah and it's better there nobody liked it and they still out of all of the drinks they could have brought over or all the drinks they could have concocted. Like, how many people had to have tasted this green milk and been like, yeah, that's eight bucks worth. Oh, price tag. So is it going to be... Let me throw another wrench in here, because, I mean, you are the, the dining yeah. expert at Walt Disney World. Yes. Restaurantosaurus. My, my palate is matured for 10 million credits. <laughs> <laughs> or two breakfasts at... Uh, Ronto Rapid. Um... So Disneyland does not have the Disney dining plan, but Walt Disney World does. How do you think that's going to affect how it, like the entire process cooperates at World? Do you think that blue milk at $7.99 per person is going to be a snack credit or no? Yeah. Let's take this one step further. Everything that we purchased in the land was 7.99 credits or 13.94 credits. Can they still use the term credits when discussing food items with people who have the Disney dining plan credits? Well, officially they're entitlements. Okay. So you might say credit because you're ignorant. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I'll take that as a subtweet. Thank you. But uh, Disney would offer to uh, exchange your entitlements mm. for their disgusting green milk. Yes. <laughs> One Disney. Now they're they're gonna have to call it Disney Dining Entitlement. Disney. Disney. 
Disney. Disney. Disney. But it also begs the question of, I mean, a Ronto wrap is twelve fifty ish. That's not going to be a total quick service. And there were no side items there. They would need to add like a bag of Batu and chips or something mm-hmm. to make that worth a quick service credit. If not, nobody is going to buy it because it's not a quick service credit. The amount of people on the dining plan who only get things because they're on the dining plan, they're not going to buy something off the dining plan unless it's a beer. It'll be on the dining plan. For sure, right? Yeah. Modified to include a side or no? Nope. No. Because all they do is for, for the Ronto wrap is they basically just put it in a bit of um, plastic paper or whatever you want to call it. They hand it to you. No tray. They just hand it to you. Just across the counter. Without a so lid. Just a full wrap yeah. without a lid. No straw. <laughs> do you usually receive a wrap with a lid on it? Everywhere. Like every speedway right now. Everything's a little bit. The shops. I know we talked about the shops before and how the shops we were anticipating, like, waits to get into the shops. Kind of like how Harry Potter first premiered. Remember that? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to happen. What what shops are you talking about? Because about- there are waits. Okay. So, so the, the marketplace stalls. Let's go so with that. There's nowhere to wait. Exactly. Of course not. Perfect. Doc, uh, Doc Ondors. Doc Ondors, Den of Antiquities, uh-huh. is a great store. It is an e-ticket store. Mm-hmm. Agreed. There was a wait outside most days. Mm-hmm. Mainly because, I mean, they want, there's a lot of interesting things in that store and a lot of expensive things as well. But and nobody cares about that because they're only trying to get the red kyber crystal packaging that has the black kyber crystal inside. Mm-hmm. That's what the wait's for. Yeah, right? that's it at this point. Is anybody waiting for a, a Amidala headdress? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, okay. Speaking for myself. <laughs> but in reality, people are waiting to try and get in there and flip a black kyber crystal right exactly because that's what we do we flip black crystals in our spare time um so the kyber crystals we talked about savvies for a second so the savvy lightsaber that you build you have one of the six color of kyber crystals in the heart of it which changes the color and the sound effects of the lightsaber you can go into doc ondor's den of antiquities and purchase the other five colors or another one of the sixth one you have and it will change the color and you can buy them each separately for 12.99 each ish plus tax of course whatever um so you can do that and change the color of your lightsaber for relatively next to nothing compared to the original cost which is cool it's great there's a white purple yellow blue red green yep those are the six colors and then of course the five colors except red are all jedi colors and the red one is the sith color and randomly in red kyber crystal containers there is a rare black obsidian kyber crystal. It still operates the same way as the red one does, but it is made from uh, quote unquote obsidian shard res- rescued from the bowels of Mustafar. A Sith temple. I don't know if they go as far as saying it's from Mustafar. Yeah. So an old Sith temple, which is cool. Um, they're very rare when you put it. So they also sell Jedi and Sith holocrons. So putting these, Kyber crystals and the holocrons yield different you colors and different messages. Holocron. <laughs> I don't know, but it's cool. What does it look like? Uh, I can show you. No. You have to <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's not a visual. the Jedi holocron. Imagine it's like it's like a Rubik's cube when you turn it turn it on, and according to Star Wars lore, these holocrons held messages 
archived from the past, from past Jedis or past Sith. Or podcasters. Or podcasters, absolutely. <laughs> so kind of like how you know our ancestors had cave paintings on walls, but when they moved, the written knowledge stayed behind. Mm-hmm. Nice reference. Exactly. Got it. Papyrus. That's it. <laughs> nice work. Futuristic, <laughs> but a little tribal. Papyrus. So, so you have that. Wonderful. Um, they, they're selling these these relics, and it's cool because you pop the kyber crystal in, and it to access those memories of the past. So, for example, the white kyber crystal I have is actually Sheru from Rogue One. Um, if you pop in the, bl- <laughs> I know you're lost right now. If you pop in the black, everyone right now, I'm talking to everyone. Everybody's lost. Our yellow one. If you in the yellow one, you get Maz. Like they change, and then there's different characters that nobody has ever heard of before. <laughs> no, they're really, really hard. With the kyber crystal that nobody's heard of, the hologram nobody's heard of, and find a story from something you've never heard there's of. There's Yoda, there's a Luke, there's Obi Wan, there's a bunch of stuff. Did you know what a wood sprite was before two years ago? I don't know what a wood sprite is now. <laughs> What kyber crystal have to send to the holocron? Wonderful. So you understand what a banshee is? Yeah. Did you know what a banshee was before Pandora? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> like ninety percent Avatar, like ninety percent of the people in the world, except for Brett. I only watch good movies. We've gone over this, like Gremlins Three. Mm. But I mean, all that Pandora merchandise, which I guess isn't selling as it is, so it doesn't matter. I don't know what point I'm trying to make, except I don't care about Star Wars, but this merchandise, they went out of their way to create this really cool stuff that people are going to want. They did. There's a lot of there's a lot of really cool merchandise in the land in general, not just knock on theirs. If you go to Twitter and Toymakers or wherever, you'll find some really cool stuff. Tools of Beth has some some Black Spire Outpost brand stuff. There's there's some cool stuff to be had. They recreated the Sabak card game from Solo. The four people who have seen Solo. Uh, you know, the, the dice hanging from the Millennium Falcon's rearview mirror for some reason. Uh, <laughs> the rearview mirror. They're, they're hanging in the Millennium Falcon. Is it? Yeah, there's no rearview mirror. I don't mirror care. The okay, so they're hanging from the Millennium Falcon. From okay, in your favorite movie. amazing. So, I love Star Wars. Story. I'm leaving this podcast. Um, But you, they have the dice for sale, so you can buy them. They have chance cubes for sale. I, I, <laughs> I thought you said they have something I want to buy. <laughs> There's a monkey lizard you can put on your shoulder. They have the Sarlacc game from Empire Strikes Back, the video game on PC from 1993. And if I put that in the green holocron with my yellow kyber crystal back, the same way as the black kyber crystal from Mustafar, then I'll be able to play the Sarlacc game with all the upgrades. All right, so enough rambling about the boring stuff of the land. Let's talk about the shining star of the land. Rise of the Resistance. Rise of the Resistance. (laughs) So I'm going to be totally honest with you. Even without Rise of the Resistance open, I still felt that Galaxy's Edge was amazing. And with how much that Disney is touting this attraction to be the end-all, be-all ride, I mean, the hype only builds. Falcon's a good boy. It gets the job done. It is more about the overall experience than the actual ride. Because, I mean, you're piling the, the Millennium Falcon, like... Well... Potentially. One third. One person. <laughs> I mean, one person goes left to right, one the other one goes up to down, the other ones are just mashing buttons like mission space, no? Yeah. At least your you know, your choices, your button mashing has an impact on the overall end goal. It as does. a mission 
guys. Yeah, mission space is just computer override. Uh, people are trying to compare right now with Haggard's magical creatures, motorbike, bicycle, paper route, jaunt, delivery boy, trash ride that's open right now. Through the Forbidden Forest. Through the Forbidden Forest, yeah. There's a point where you press a purple button on the bike, and it's like, woo, you launch because you press the purple button. No, you're going to launch anyway. The same thing goes in One in Falcon Smuggler's Run. When it tells you to pull the lever into hyperdrive, you're going to launch to hyperdrive anyway, but when you pull that, it puts you into hyperdrive. It is responsive, and it is your action that causes it, and it's so darn cool. It is. I mean, there's there's no denying that it's cool in the... And, and you do so. So basically, I think one of the things that we discussed about is how how badly can you mess up someone's vacation when riding this? And it turns out pretty badly. I mean, we were able to fly into. We got a score of negative eight hundred twenty-one credits. Eight twenty. Yep. Negative eight hundred twenty-one credits, which is a one percent completion rate. Right. Yep. We spent more than half the ride literally dragging into the ground, and it was you miserable. Feel it. Yeah, the no. entire thing shakes. The vehicle that, shakes. It's I, crazy. I don't think there is a more when you when you hit something, you actually hit something. It is uncomfortable when you hit an asteroid. If you hit a you hit a crate, whatever you hit is uncomfortable. Much more so than I had originally anticipated it being. So if if you've got Brett in the pilot seat and and I'm not sure. yeah, exactly. If like if you come off there and your score is negative eight thousand and their child is crying, then you'd be like, you got you got <laughs> rewrite right this way. Anything less than five percent is is automatic schmoofy rewrite. Um, no, but it, it is a it is a miserable experience. And if you have the wrong two people in there, pilot, it's going to be bad. But it people, takes like, effort to do it wrong. Or just being a kid, just yeah, having a nine year old up there. Well, the thing is, so. so I would say that that's right, but wrong at the same time. I mean, if a, if a nine-year-old call me wrong one more time. On this <laughs> so, anyways, <laughs> the interesting the interesting thing about the controls of the Millennium Falcon is that they both return to zero. So, if you if you if you want to take one of the controls and take it hard left, if you let go of that control, it will return to zero. So, the natural state of that is to go through the entire ride without hitting anything really. Um, but you've got a, a, one pilot's going up and down, the other one's going left to right. They have to work in unison to avoid asteroids and to, you know, to avoid crates and all sorts of stuff. I think that there is a a way to really <laughs> ruin someone's vacation on it. it it's so basically, what you're doing is you're traveling down this uh, preferred path, right, of of where you want to go, and you can turn and and manipulate the Falcon into a margin of error basically a, 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 a cone around this preferred path. You aren't able to fly the Falcon wherever you want on whatever different planet that you're on, but you're able to, within a margin of error, go as far left as you can or go as far right or up or down, um, potentially hitting everything along the way or missing everything along the way. Um, so the, the experience as a pilot is the best experience, I think, on the Falcon. And that's the front two seats. So if you want to pull the hyperdrive, sit in the front right. And that one also goes left to right. And then the left front pilot goes up and down. No? no? Other way around. Other way around. Okay. Right front pilot goes up and down. Left goes left to right. Oh, yeah. So my bad. Uh, the next two seats going back with the gunners. The gunners have a button. When you press that button, it shoots a laser beam. Left and right. Blue and red. 
if you hold the button down, it just continues to fire. There are certain points where you need to fire other things and the other button lights up. Um, other than that, you hold the button down and you're fine. Uh, which is why the, the, the right starts to break down if you're not in those pilot seats, in my opinion. Well, yeah, because, I mean, there's TIE fighters coming at you. You need to shoot them down. Okay, fine. Then just hit a button. Yeah. There's, there's, you're, you're landing in the space. You're landing back in Florida. You have to hit the button to deploy the parachutes. Like, it's, it's, it, it makes a difference. It does, but it's, it's, it's button mashing. It it's is. Not and then the engineer seat in the back is whenever the pilots crash, a bunch of the buttons will light up and you need to hit those buttons that are lit up green to correct the system's issues. To put out the fires, basically. Yeah. yeah. Which, Which would have been, been so much cooler if they did some other things. There's a certain point where the ship loses power, you need to press all the, everybody needs to press buttons to turn it back on. There's a lot of buttons to press, but at the end, they really don't. Every button does something in the Falcon. No, it doesn't. Get out of here. There are some buttons that don't move that are just there for show. Yeah. That's cool. It's cool. The first time you walk into it, you're going to cry. They're going to have a problem with this. Without yes. a doubt. Because you guys went there. We should have opened with the fact that you have been to Galaxy's Edge and been on the Haggard's Motorbike Adventure. Oh. A very mm-hmm. few people have done both. But anyway, you, you're going to have to wait with no Fast Pass Plus. Best case scenario is most people are, on average, you're going to wait two and a half hours probably. And you're going to get to the front, and if, you, if you're a party of four with two kids, and every single YouTube video, every single blog post, every single Facebook post says the pilot is the best seats, and your kids want to pilot the Millennium Falcon, you're going to put the kids up front, and they're going to do a terrible job, and it's going to ruin, as you say, the experience for the people who end up in the back. And that's after a two or three hour wait with no ability to rewrite. Like you guys got to ride so many times, you got to purposefully do horrible just to amuse yourselves. Right. I'm not going to have that. Uh, like I'm going to hate it either way. <laughs> <laughs> but it's going to be interesting to see how that works out. You know, you already get the cast member who rolls their eyes when you request the back row on Splash or the middle and store and. Like how many people are going, if you're a couple and you get to ride once and you've been waiting for three hours and you know that the back seat is just going to be a bore, you're going to try to request the pilot seats. And what do you do? And so they hand you all these cards that tell you your assignment. And then they tell you in your color group, whatever it may be, to go ahead and trade spots if you want to. That's going to be a new nightmare because you're going to have some, you're going to have me trying to con some nine-year-old and switching <laughs> pilot seat for my engineer. Like, do you want to go to college, kid? Do you want to go to Stanford? Do you want to be an engineer? Or do you want to have to fly small planes as a pilot? I will buy you a churro for your pilot seat. And then all of a sudden... I'm on my way out. Well, so also my churros in Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> so the logistics of this is basically there's a single file line that meets up in this small little... Uh, circular room that meets up with the single rider line, right? And basically, they're they're looking for parties of six. If it's not a party of six, they'll backfill it with parties of two, three, four, whatever's necessary from the regular line. And then they'll throw the, the single riders in at the end. And the way that they hand out these, at least when we were there, it was not random how they handed out these positions. The first people to stand in line in front of them got the pilot seats. The next people got the gunners. And then they backfilled with the engineers. So if you're a single rider 
and you do not try to con somebody into switching with you, you're almost guaranteed, at least from the operations that we saw, you're guaranteed to have the engineer space. So yeah, and I mean, we didn't personally witness it, but we've been hearing people talk about it on Twitter, specifically, I think Guy Selga mentioned it, mm-hmm. is that people doing single rider, when they're getting the engineer card, they are just choosing to opt to not to ride. And they're rejoining the single rider line. If the single rider's 10 minutes and you want to try again, try again. Yeah. So it's creating a problem. And there's nothing more awkward than standing in the chest room, knowing that you're the engineer, knowing that you're the gunner. The only thing that you wanted to do for the past three hours, you had your sights set on being the pilot and then having to walk over to some other 40-year-old nerd who is sitting there and says, yes, I want to be the pilot. And what what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> Put on my robe that I spent $250 on that I can't wear. I'm going to take out my lightsaber with my black kyber crystal that I bought on eBay for $850, and I'm going to throw down. Of course. Sarlacc card game. Come at me. It's, it's it, yeah, it's going to present a challenge. And there's no, so like if you ride rock if you ride any of these things where you want to be front row, even you know, dash, if you want to be front row, you just ask for it and they say, okay, I just stand off to the side and you can be front row. There's really not that kind of space in the queue to say, you know what, I want to, I want to ride pilot. I guess you could and just kind of wave some people through behind you, knowing full well that you're sending them to their grave. Because they, <laughs> you know what, honestly, if you come here and you don't know what you're getting yourself into at this point, I don't care if you're the engineer. I don't care if I con you into it either. That brings up, though, a good point. You could argue that the Soren middle top row is the best. Correct. But only 5% of people, maybe at most, request that. Mm-hmm. You could argue that the first or last row on Everest is the best, but at most 5% request that. So it may not be an issue. People may just be happy with what they can get. And the engineer they say does have the best view of the ride. Yeah, they do. Yeah. You and, see the and picture? Things, so you can actually enjoy the experience more so potentially than the pilot who does have to actively do something. I say this from no experience. No, but like, you're right. like, <laughs> Well, when you're in the pilot seat, you are, you can't really see anybody behind you. It's hard to communicate because you're in a, it's the money pockets in a cone shape. So whenever you speak in front of you, it is basically submerged by the cone shape in front of you. You need to like lean back. Yeah, I know I were just on podcast. That wasn't going to work. Right, complaining about the acoustics. Of the, the acoustics of the Money Falcon. So it's hard to communicate. You need to be, be like yelling at people. And it turned into this big I chaos situation. You, you do not need to be yelling at <laughs> In the cantina. You don't. Right. So here's the thing. Is when you're a pilot, generally, you're going to be tunnel vision on trying to miss the next asteroid that's coming up or, or the next black spire that you're supposed to try and miss, right? So if people are doing a poor job behind you, they're just doing a poor job behind you. The experience is over so quickly and you're so focused on what you're trying to do. You don't know if the gunner's just sitting back there taking photos on his new cannon. Nikon? Nikon. Cannon, cannon, cannon. Cannon. I don't yeah. know who sent the check this month. Nikon. Let's go Nikon. with Nikon. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know if they're doing their job back there or not. You just know that you're being blasted by TIE fighters and you're trying to you know, perform evasive maneuvers or whatever the case may be. So the whole entire experience, very tunnel vision, it's over before you know it, it seems like. It is. It's quick. And I mean... Everybody will have a chance to experience this once you're at Hollywood Studios, of course. But once you are past merge, you have a pre-show with Hondo. You have an entire hallway where you go down to be separated into groups. You are in the chess room. You are taken into your group. You have another quick pre-show. You are loaded. You are on the ride. You are off the ride. 
all within maybe 15 minutes. What's yeah, what's the most time that you spend in the chess room, the place where everybody wants to get their photos? Five minutes max. Half the time you don't have a chance to even wait to get your picture sitting down at the chess table before you're already called to the next room. And that is going to be a huge issue because everybody wants a picture there. And if you're a group of two, you're a couple that wants to go get their picture taken at the chess table and group orange is being called and the rest of your group is saying, come on, it's time to go fly the Falcon. Are you going to continue your five minute wait for the photo op? No. Joshua. I waited two hours. I'm going to wait. Yeah. You guys can fly without me. I'll fly next time. I've got all day. Mm -hmm. It's, 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 it's a pretty quick go, go, go experience. Which isn't the worst thing in the world. I mean, the, the, the ours pretty quick eight-hour waits go. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, yeah, no, it's it, but it's good though. It's a, it's a, the queue is good. The the whole entire experience is good. The storyline makes sense. Hondo is actually we haven't spent any time on this, but Hondo is hilarious. Yeah, Hondo went from this character. It's like who cares about Hondo? I know we've discussed it in past podcasts. It's like yeah, we want to go to Hoth. We want to go to Tatooine. These places we know. We want to interact with characters that we know. Who the heck is Hondo? Hondo is hilarious. Hondo is amazing. You're going to fall in love with this character immediately. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly. Yeah. But still want to live your own adventure. I think the live your own adventure thing is total crap at this point. (laughs) It is absolute garbage. It is trash. It is. It's trash. It's the land itself is so good. You don't need to double down and be like, yeah, but you're going to live your own Star Wars adventure. You're already living an adventure. It is so cool. You don't need to be like, oh, yeah, but I have this amount of credits and we're taking over the next Black Spire because we have enough credits to buy it because I'm on the Rebellion Alliance or whatever. No, who cares? Talk to me August 30th. So to bring it back around to Disney Hollywood Studios, the park is screwed. (laughs) It is going to be... I know they've been prepping for this and they've been building out the front of the park. They changed the parking. They got the Skyliner going. They built Toy Story Land. They built Graden Avenue as a glorified waiting area. They are not prepared for what this is going to bring to this park without a reservation system. What is the minimum amount of effort they would have to show you to show that they learned something from Disneyland? Would it be a virtual queue? Would it be reservation systems? What are they going to have to announce beyond the recording date of this, which is what, June 15th or whatever it is. What are they going to have to show you in the next couple months to show that they've learned something from Disneyland? They need to have a limited standby queue for the for the land. So have a standby queue option available. If you arrive at the park, you're welcome to join the queue. Make it a virtual, make it a literal stand-in. Who cares? There's going to be a queue. Also open up reservations. Do the free reservation system that Disneyland had. That opened less than a month before the land opened. There is still plenty of time for them to put that live. And put that in is that you get this reservation and you are guaranteed access into the land on this day. Well, the problem is if you have a thing that 40,000 people want and you only have 10,000 of them, what do you do? And keep in mind, these 40,000 people have already spent a week of their time and five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars to be here, but you still have to tell thirty thousand people that they don't get to do the thing. In in Florida, their answer is going to be, "You have to wait. You have to do the fair thing, which is show up early and wait." 
And that's what they're going to do because they don't have the benefit of only having three hotels where they can easily give you a time to go do the thing because they only have three or four thousand, five, six, seven, eight thousand people mm-hmm. in a land that can hold the same number of people as Hollywood Studios. They have no options in Florida other than to just tell people you have to go early and wait, which is why they're doing the extra magic hours thing, at least for the first two months. So that's their way of saying this is a guaranteed reservation into the land is the extra, extra magic hours. That's the answer for Florida because they can't logistically guarantee that to all 30 plus hotels. Well, you can't tell people... You, you can't only let the deluxe people in to the land. No, I'm sure that's what Disney would love to do <laughs> is to tell people if you are staying at the Grand Floridian or the Contemporary or the Polynesian or the beach or yacht that will guarantee you. But at the all-star sports, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. The, they would, they would love, they would love to do that, but the optics are too bad. Terrible. Like Disneyland in Disneyland, they're not going to tell you that, well, you know, we have to let Harbor Boulevard in. They don't, mm-hmm. You don't have to do it. Mm-mm. So they have no options other than to just allow it to be a free-for-all, and that's what it's going to be. Virtual queue, yes or no, Josh? No, because there's nowhere for those people to go. In Hollywood Studios. Yeah. What about- like, if you do virtual queue, it means they get to be in line for the studios, but they also have to find something else to do in that part, and there isn't anything else for the people to do. And even if there was... They don't want to do it. So what about virtual queue if you are staying at a Walt Disney World resort? Because they're already validating on your account the 60 days for a resort stay for FastPass Plus and that you have an active ticket. So why not just use that checks and balances to say, okay, you're staying at the resort. You can check in for the virtual queue before you even arrive at the park, but only if you're staying at one of the 25 plus resorts. Because you're you're saying that to 90,000 people for 8,000 slots. This is Disney, not Universal. They can be elitist like that. There's 90,000 people. They can't be. You cannot tell the guy at All-Star Sports who has scrounged up enough money. Or even if if you have all the money in the world, you you can't tell the people that they don't get to do the thing because they don't have enough money. They're not going to get to do the thing with the capacity as it is. Some people aren't. Why not just make it enjoyable for the people that can? You can't. Not at Walt Disney. I mean, that, that was their approach at Disneyland. They said, hey, we can't have everybody in here. We're going to make it enjoyable for the few people who can get in here. But they with, can't do that with Disney World. Because you haven't heard from all the people who did not get to go into Disneyland. Oh, I've heard of. Or of the people who didn't get to go in multiple times. But Disney World is not going... And even in the, among the deluxes, there probably isn't enough capacity. Because no, Disney I, World still has eight or nine deluxe resorts on top of all those DVC people who have spent even more money. Like Old Key West Resort and Saratoga Springs Resort, how much higher, how many more people are staying there are going to staying in all of the Disneyland resorts? Then you have to add up all the other DVC resorts at Animal Kingdom Lodge, at Contemporary Resort, at Beach Club. All these people who have already said that they're spending a hundred thousand plus dollars over so many years, they don't get to have any preference. 
because there isn't there isn't the capacity, and that's why they changed the Fast Pass Plus tiers. If you're going to Hollywood Studios from August 29th on, you only get to select one, basically one ride is your Fast Pass Plus in advance. Tower of Terror, Toy Story Mania, Alien Swirling Saucers, Rock and Roller Coaster, Tower of Terror. Did I already say Tower of Terror? Slinky Dog Dash. Slinky Dog Dash. All the rides start tours, you only get to pick one in advance. Because if they let you pick two or pick three, there's no capacity. So one thing that we haven't... One thing that we've assumed without any sort of evidence is the demand for this. So we've always assumed that this is going to be a highly demanded um, experience, but the evidence almost seems to suggest otherwise with regards to Disneyland. We're trying they, to avoid. They did not. Well, no, no, no. What I'm saying is that people didn't pay. There were there was hotel availability for guaranteed access into this land, and people weren't paying. Yeah, that's that was really interesting to me. So is there is. Are we assuming this huge Harry Potter, Hagrid's Magical Motorbike Adventure demand for this type of experience that isn't there? I mean, obviously, I'm going to sound like an idiot come August 29th or even June 24th when they're, your point. they're like all the way down Harbor or all the way down World Drive of people you know, camping out trying to get into this thing. But we haven't seen evidence of this demand yet. We've actually seen evidence to the contrary with easily obtainable access into this land that people are not willing to pay for at the very least. Maybe when it's free, it's a completely different story. Well, that surprised me. I put out on Twitter, how is Disneyland with guaranteed access? And yes, the resorts are expensive. They're not more expensive than the Polynesian or the Grand Floridian, though. They're probably mm-hmm. even less expensive come October, November, Thanksgiving. So if you're planning to go during Thanksgiving, you could have gone to Disneyland and paid less and had a fabulous time with nobody there. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Even with the number of people who go to Slinky Dog Dash for a thing right now. Mm-hmm. Like if you go to Slinky Dog Dash at Rope Drop and you're the last person to arrive, you're going to wait about 100 minutes. And you're going to be back out to what, Animation Courtyard? Yeah. So there's already that much demand for Slinky Dog Dash. So even best case scenario for the Falcon, for the last person there at 9 a.m. with a normal 9 a.m. open is still two hours. Easy. We, we saw two hours achieved during the time where there were the most people in the land, which would be at the end of one time window to the beginning of the next when that wave of the next people came in and was still filtering in with the people who were already there, that was theoretically the most busy that that land would be. And we saw wait times of two, two and a half hours for the Falcon. Now, typically, yeah, in Disneyland. So so the touring advice there is to go 15 to 15 minutes to a half an hour before the next wave comes in and you're going to wait 15, you're going to walk right on, right? Um, But that demand does exist, I guess, in that specific scenario. But again, people weren't, willing to pay their way into this land. Um, and I guess the fact that there's going to be no way to really buy your way into this land at Walt Disney World may be a good thing for fairness, but a bad thing for crowding. Well, we'll see what previews look like. It, it was strange to me that you could have spent 
the $450 a night to stay at Paradise Pier and got in your family of four into a guaranteed spot. But that goes back to the whole Disneyland versus Disney World thing. I don't think the locals are willing to shell out that kind of money. I think a lot of locals wait three weeks. Yeah, you can wait the three weeks. Or you can even just rely on your free reservation if you're on top of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I know a bunch of the locals over there at this point, they were visited the first week or so, and then they're visiting again over the course of the next couple weeks. Because after the first few days for opening weekend, time slots filled up. The people were done. They signed off. They didn't want to continue claiming reservations. So everybody else swooped in and got the good ones, the later later dates. Mm-hmm. So, so people are. are still going in droves. Yeah. Question to throw out there, too, is that, I mean, can you buy access to this land? So the question out there is, of course, Disney does VIP tours, and they currently do a Star Wars tour over at Hollywood Studios. Mm-hmm. So will this tour, of course, up in price at that point, will it include access to Bot 2? So one of the first things that we had tried to do was to buy our way in via a VIP tour for Disneyland. Just not this is this was before they announced the reservations. This is before we knew that we were going to get lucky with the free reservation system, etc. We had inquired to, to VIP services about what it would cost for us to get into Galaxy's Edge, and they said, "We're not going into Galaxy's Edge. You, you can't buy your way in as badly as you may want to, or as badly as we may want to tell you that sort of access." They're not allowing any VIP tours at Disneyland until June 24th. Um, what that looks like for Walt Disney World is probably going to be a lot different. I would assume that they would absolutely start selling VIP tours and stuff into the first week. I can't imagine that they would not. Of course, they're going to want to capitalize on that money, and it's lost income if they say you can't go to a certain area of the park, especially with some of the clientele who comes to Disney World. No is not an answer. Will a tour include Galaxy's Edge? You'd think that they'd have to put together some sort of package that would. Well, there's a package in Pandora at the moment. Is it just Pandora? You get dinner at Satuli. Oh, it's the Ultimate Knights of Adventure. So you have, you ride Dinosaur, Everest, Safaris. You have, you do a ride on River Journey and Flight of Passage. You have a dinner sampling at Satuli and you have Rivers of Light showing. That's a couple hundred dollars. It's like, I think 185 a person. Which is great. It's a great value for you do everything at night. You complete the entire park, which is awesome at night. Reserve seating includes a meal, including one alcoholic or non-alcoholic beverage. You walk right on flight. I mean, no complaints there. Yeah, there's value there. Unless you have an ECWW.com touring plan, in which case you can do the same thing for zero dollars. Plus the alcoholic beverage. For free? For for free? You have to read the post. Yeah, I mean, that's going to take, what, two or three hours to get three there? Hours. Three hours. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so there's some time lost here, cost. Seven-part series. <laughs> or was yeah, it a rope drop at Animal Kingdom, part eight? <laughs> yeah, have you left Animal Kingdom yet, or are we still looking for, like, a part nine or ten? <laughs> We're still there. Okay. So Josh's touring plans, I mean, are excellent. I can't mm-hmm. wait to read them once uh, this that's, starts. That's the thing. Touring. I'm retired. <laughs> You got to at least the podcast money is what's going to sustain me from here on out. <laughs> Hope you like being homeless. <laughs> I prefer outside. <laughs> You're one of those outdoor dogs. Right. Oh, man. But yeah, no, I think, I think that the first couple of weeks of Galaxy's Edge here will be a good uh, litmus test mm. for 
yeah, I know, right? For uh, for what it's going to look like through the rest of 2019, at least, certainly into 2020. My major concern is that Disneyland is willing to change and adapt and based upon uh, consumer and guest needs. I mean, they were able to change Savi's workshop experience, the queuing system and Ogas and overnight. overnight. And they, they got feedback and they resolved it right there. I don't think Disney world is going to be too. I think they're too proud of themselves to admit a failure or something that doesn't work. They would rather let it fail, compensate, and then be reactive instead of proactive on things. And I think that's a huge difference between the two operations on both coasts is that Disney World is, of course, more reactive because we have just so many more people visiting over here. It's a very, I'm going to say it again, a reactive base. Maybe a slower machine, slower slower truck to try and turn, right? Yeah. yeah. And it, they're, they're very proud people, and they, they don't like to admit that what one of their upper management executives said is wrong. Because if you're not, yes, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, the entire way, you're just, it, things are not going to get done. So now that things are done, are they going to work or not? We'll, we'll see. Like I said earlier, they have representatives from all Disney World in guest research and all the operations and stuff like that. They're out at Disneyland right now learning or attempting to learn from what it's going to be like when they open it here, obviously the four hour time window, there's, there's not a whole lot to learn there because we don't have something like that here. But when June 24th hits and they start using that virtual queue system in a Disneyland and they start learning how the demand looks like during a free uh, period, for a, a free for all period, really, um, there will be a lot to learn for Walt Disney World and hopefully implement. It's going to be a great summer. It's, it's going to be a free for all. That's the Disney World way. Yeah. No, no. So, so no virtual queue whatsoever. No virtual queue. Look at what they did for Pandora. Did they oh, ever do a virtual queue for Pandora? No. And Pandora died down. They never even threw out the idea of that. They already have that idea thrown out for Disneyland. Pandora died down. I say died down quite lightly because there was there's still demand, high demand for that passage. But as far as the need to wait to enter the land, that was gone in the first three days, four days, something like that. So I would imagine that they would, if the demand is high, if if that virtual queue fills up before lunchtime, certainly lunchtime, if it fills up before 10 a.m. at Disneyland to the point where the land is at capacity by the time 10 a.m. rolls around, you think Walt, Disney's, Walt Disney World is going to have to look at that and say, oh, we better consider our options. There's still nothing for the people to do. If you're in the virtual queue, keep in mind at Hollywood Studios come August 29th, you can only have a Fast Pass Plus for one ride mm-hmm. in advance. And then you have to use it at two other things. So you have your three Fast Passes to use. Well, and, and they're forcing you into the shows, which have, what, 5,000 seats? At, yeah, uh, like Beer Gas. Beer Gas. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're, they're huge spots for people to sit down and kill some time, get people off of the roads and out of the sun. Potentially that's a good way to spend your time. If there is a virtual, those shows are already filling to capacity yeah. as it is now. With what? 20,000, 25,000 people in there per day. Right. <laughs> so the virtual queue doesn't work because then you're in two places at once and there's no room. So what you're saying is right now we essentially have a virtual, well, we will essentially have a virtual queue of sorts when the new fast pass restrictions go into place on August 29th, forcing people to remove themselves from 
align potentially to go find their fast passes somewhere else, or people are just going to sit on Grand Ave. You've got your RV ready, right? Yeah, I, you know, I'm already living in a tent. I don't care where I move it to. Yeah. <laughs> Grand Avenue at least is much of a ba- uh, baseline tap house than you are now. So that's fair. Yeah. Um, okay, so you're on the record as no virtual queue, Brett. Virtual queue, no virtual queue. I the land is going to be full at 9 a.m. Yeah, the land will be full before people can even step at the, the average guess. Yeah. Can even step into that park. And they're going to have to add the virtual key system to the Disney World Experience app. Hmm. Um, get a new standalone app for that. <laughs> on my Disney Experience. I, I think that they will roll out a virtual queue to begin with. And I think it will be taken back within the first few weeks as being useless. But I think that they will try to implement something that will just not work. They're going to have to do a virtual queue of some sort. I, I don't. I don't think. Uh, I would. I would like to think that they wouldn't have people standing outside for ten hours in the South Florida sun, Hagrid's magical motorbike adventure. They wouldn't do that, you would think. But people are going to start entering this park before six a.m. to be in line. It's going to be full during extra extra magic hours. So but on a side note, it's if it's full during extra extra magic hours, you get people in there. If they're going to get in there that early, they're going to leave earlier too because you're going to get everything done in those first three hours. The average guest is not coming to Walt Disney World just for Galaxy's Edge. And I'm willing to fight on that one. They're coming for a vacation. It is part of their vacation. They're here for four or five days. They're doing a day at studios and Galaxy's Edge is part of that day. Next day they'll show up at 4 a.m. and realize that's the way that they have to do it. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so there's two days. And then they're going to go, well, we're not, we're not going to go to Epcot this trip because what does Epcot have? Oh, we have a rat. I don't want to ride the rat. So no virtual queue. We're all standing out on Grand Avenue. For how many? How, how long is it going to take you to get that planned, Josh? What do you think? How long is it going to take? Well, of course we have we have no idea. We have no metrics on that whatsoever because Disneyland hasn't opened up theirs. So how long are, are people going to expect to? Let's just let's just keep it to 2019. So from August 29th through December 31st, 2019. Right. Keep it in if mind. Ten. If you show up at 11 a.m., you're going to have to wait in line to get into the land. I don't know. The thing is, people will give up if they see a four-hour wait. We don't give up. We just stood in the line for nine hours for Hagrid. Now, granted, today now it's down to like two hours, so it's like it was just the opening opening hype. And they do have September on their side. Mm-hmm. September being the least crowded, typically, because then you can just leave, go back to the Ulster Sports. That's the dream. That's the dream. Um, How long are they waiting? September seventeenth. Mm-hmm. You show up at eleven a.m. You can seventy-five minutes on Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. You're gonna wait a hundred and forty minutes. Okay, and then Christmas seven hundred. <laughs> Don't go to Galaxy that for during Christmas. I think you're right on the night, like the between an hour and an hour and a half, just to get in. Yeah, I and think you're gonna find how long of a wait? Two hours for a Falcon. No, I think you're going to find that Savi's workshop is full for the day. Well, Savi's workshop has been full for the past 180 days, according to reservation only. So you don't need to have to worry about that application being ruined. I, I need to talk to your manager. And so you're going to have to wait for... So, okay. Uh, that's one goofy thing about Galaxy's Edge is potentially going to be no, Rise of the Resistance notwithstanding. Millennium Falcon is going to be the third or the fourth priority. Savvy's workshop is the number one priority. The cantina is the number two priority. The droid, 
potentially as the number three priority, which makes the Falcon the fourth priority, and potentially after Resistance opens, the fifth priority. Mm -hmm. Which is insane to think that we've come around in just weeks of discussion going from Falcon's going to be the biggest one to, no, we were wrong. No. Yeah, no. Oh, sorry. We're always right. I will make sure that I don't talk about Sean twice in one podcast. That would be a huge mistake. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, but we've always talked about Falcon about about it being the, potentially the number two to Rise of the Resistance, mm-hmm. the Navi River Train, my flight of passage. That's it. But did we know that there were also going to be a Seven Doors Mine Train? Do we also know that there was going to be a you know a Peter Pan's flight in there too, in the form of shops? <laughs> <laughs> This is the first time and last time anybody's going to compare Seven Doors Mind Train to build a bear. <laughs> well, you're going to want to build the droid before you start exploring the land. So, with an incredibly limited number of people allowed into the land, it was a good time. The best time I'll have in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge until I turn 40. So, what, two years? Three. <laughs> 2019. Yeah. Two years. No, it's it was it was a wonderful way to experience it. It was done the right way, again for the people who were lucky enough to be there. It was a wonderful experience. I hope that they can somehow manage that at Walt Disney World. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you now that after we hit end record on this, I'm going to go ahead and get in line yeah. after talking to you guys. It, it's set, it's, it's going to set the bar high for Runaway Railway and for Ratatouille and for Guardians and for Tron. Let's uh, just jaunt about FastPass here for a second. We mentioned FastPass for the other attractions in Hollywood Studios. Uh, we can tell you from experience that there is a FastPass line for Millennium Falcon Smuggler Run, and there's also one uh, apparently for Rise of the Resistance. At least they have the well, scanner. not apparently they, they have the scanners. Out. They have the scanners up, so there are FastPass lines built. Like it is something that will be happening at some time in the future, but it is definitely not happening right now, and that works to your advantage because as far as Disney has told you that wait times have gone down since they put up fast pass that is incorrect josh has the numbers to prove it uh so without fast pass being there you have all the time in the world to wait yourself without fast pass bogging down the standby queue two hours when you're constantly moving feels like an hour it's not that bad i feel like fast pass at galaxy's edge is going to be like it seems like a box full of money you're going to put like a hundred dollars on the scanner and it's going to turn blue or green mm-hmm. and you drop a hundred dollars of the thing and you put another hundred dollars against the thing and it turns blue and you drop it in the thing another hundred dollars it turns blue you drop it into the thing another hundred dollars it's green and then you get to go so you aren't so you aren't tapping your magic band against it you're tapping your apple pay against it a hundred dollars yeah i don't i can't see that fast pass is anything but a hindrance um within the opening months. And I'm not alone in that thinking. Disney was thinking the same thing. It's not like they don't have the infrastructure for it. It's not like they don't have the ability to hand out fast passes. It's not like they don't have the lines. They have the lines. They have everything built out. They just realize that it's impossible to do so. And and, and, and if the argument is, oh, well, they didn't hand out fast passes because they don't want people making fast passes who don't have their reservations, then where are the fast passes on June 24th or June 25th or 26th or anytime after the free reservations are open? Even if the land is at capacity, if, if, if the land doesn't get to capacity, I still don't think that they don't have fast passes. I don't think that the um, roadblock here is the fact that people can't get into the land with the fast passes. I think the roadblock here is that they realize that fast passes are going to be a hindrance for their hourly capacity. 
Well, even with Slinky Dog Dash at the moment, uh, if you're trying to book a Slinky Dog Dash Fast Pass Plus, they're unavailable as many as 62 days in the future. So if you're staying on property and you have a week-long vacation, you can book Fast Pass Plus up to the last day of your trip at 60 days. And if you try to book a family of four for day 60, 61, 62, 63, you're not going to find any availability as it is for Stinky Dog Dash. Imagine if instead of that, it's Millennium Falcon or Rise of the Resistance. There's no capacity. There's no availability. There's If there's no availability for Slinky Dog at 65, at Millennium, there's no availability, period. It's like trying to sign up for a D23 event. It's and all it, sold out within a millisecond. And at some point, they will add it. They have to. But well, it, it, it could be years. It could be. And, and honestly, we don't know until these free spots open up and we see the mass of people flooding in. I don't mind waiting as long as there's no fast pass. Yeah. People, people over queue, carousel queues. Sure, who cares? You are on record of saying that you hate the people mover to so choose a different example. Oh, <laughs> uh, Falcon. Falcon. No fast pass. Hugh keeps moving. It's wonderful. And that and that and we saw examples of again when it gets to two hours when the first when the next wave comes in, that queue will, will back out well out of the attraction. It'll come out of the attraction, it'll work down the road, uh, past Oga's potentially all the way back to where the blue milk is situated, which of course it's, it's tough to explain how long of a line that is, but you're looking at, um, I don't know, three, four, 500 yards of, of people outside of the attraction queue as it is when a new wave comes in. Yeah. It's quite a long time. Yeah. It's basically the equivalent of saying slinky dog is backed out to the entry to toy story land. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Which is, which is a one or two football fields. And those lines are so annoying outside of the queue because you have so many people cutting in front one way or another. Well, they also are going to want to block the Falcon. Yeah, there's a fence for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they do They do try to... The front pass is actually quite mm-hmm. forceful. Mm-hmm. And, and they're trying to get people... Uh, they are. Forceful. forceful. They, they are. Get it? No, it really, they really are. Oh, Star yeah. Star Wars. It's, it's a whole crowd, right? Crystal joke. You put the yellow Kyber crystal into the holocron and turn it all about. But no, they are they are, and, and I guess rightfully so. If you're going to have somebody paying hundreds of dollars for the memory pack or whatever, you want to make sure there's nobody sitting behind their you know photo in the falcon. They want to have a peek out of the falcon, so it's fine. But it, it it does get to be a mess. They did not build. Um, one thing that I will touch on briefly is the fact that this land was built by Imagineering, not by operations. So you see stuff like the fact that they don't have built-in queues for Docking Bay 7. They don't have a built-in overflow for Oga's Cantina. They just have roads. They just have streets of Batu. It feels real. It feels so real. And to see Imagineering win this battle, not for once, but to see them win the battle on something this important is fun from a from a fan standpoint, but it induces quite the headache when you think about the operations of it all. And when you see the operations of it all, and you see the fact that they have, like for instance, on the first two days of their Oga's Cantina line, they had a, a quarter staff. On one side, it had a green uh, piece of cloth t- tied to it. The other side, it had a red piece of cloth. And when it was time for the entire mass of people waiting on one side of the street 
to run to the line on the other side of the street. The cast member took that quarter stock, flipped it from red to green, and people just rushed across. The it was like released the Kraken, and it was crazy. It's miserable. It's dangerous. It is it is terrible from an operations standpoint. But they don't have a, a switchback for Ogas located in the land, which is showing that Altium kind of won that battle. And they fix that very quick. They do with the text return. Well, also, I mean, that waiting area, that line for Ogas from the line at Ogas Cantina down to basically the first order cargo supply. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Uh, that area is just a facade wall. If you look at any of the aerials, that was supposed to be the entrance to the table service restaurant, which is right back there. So that is just like a three, four foot wall of just facade, which just looks great, but it's just empty space. Perfect spot for some stanchions. So it'll, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Like with Flight of Passage, the queue is long enough 90% of the time. But if you go there during the first 90 minutes of operation, that line is backed up all the way across the bridge into Africa, which is switches back three or four or five or six times. But after the first hour, it's fine. Yep. I will say that the Flight of Passage, that rope drop experience, that exterior queue is much longer, much, much longer than we saw for the Falcon, again, during limited previews. Where they take that line during a free-for-all is, I have no idea where they take it. They aren't going to take you backstage in the first order cargo. They aren't. They're going to take you from an immersive experience back to a uh, backstage area. I don't know where they go with that line. They have no answer to that. I don't think. It's going to be crazy. They can't. They can't handle flight of passage type lines at rope drop like flight of passage can. Flight of passage handles it quite well for what it is. After two months of them figuring out where to put the line, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they used to put you up across Pizza Safari. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> Which is mess. Yeah. But I, they they have nowhere to go. Even even with the, the the Africa bridge for flight of passage, that works out fairly well compared to what by luck. By luck, yeah. They well, don't build it for that. No. And they can't... The, the thing is, they don't have really... A, in Disney World, they don't have an exit to the land that seemed like that, that they can run that out of. In Disneyland, they do have um, an entrance or an exit, but not in World. It's funny to think that we were very worried about the land not fitting in in Disneyland, and it fits in perfectly. And it does. It's amazing. Get out of here. It feels like... The scale is all wrong. It doesn't. You don't feel like you're in Disneyland. You walk on the galaxy's edge, and you're like, "Oh, cool! There's another theme park to walk through on my way to the car." Exactly. It's a brand new. It's it's different. <laughs> it's very. It's wild, but it feels like the Wild West in space. Yeah, it's fine. No, I think they did a phenomenal job with the transition spaces. If that's what you're alluding to. Yeah, and I don't think the transitions are going to work out. Let world. They're going to suck. Miserable. I'm a nanny's backyard. I'm on Batu. <laughs> no, the, the the transition spaces in Disneyland are very beautiful. Um. That won't be the case in the world, potentially. We'll see. We'll see. We have no idea. So it's coming. I know we've said this numerous times, but now it's even closer than ever. We are just over less than two months away at World, and we are literally a week away at this point. Two and a half months, but we're, we're looking at potentially just potentially less than two months from previews. Because that land, if, if you look at any of the aerials that have been posted recently, that land is coming along really well in the world. Really well. I wish it wasn't. <laughs> and then, of course, Disneyland opens up their yeah. land to all guests on the 24th. So we have a few exciting weeks ahead of us. 
So for those of you still in line for Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure, thank you for listening. Replay the podcast a few times. Yeah, maybe get through the line in no time. Anyway, we'll bring you more Galaxy's Edge coverage next week and the week after. And potentially, if we keep on a weekly schedule, more after that. Setting out for the day, this is Brett Schmoofy on Twitter. Josh, EasyWW.com, a great site. And my quick blog, Mickey.com. Thanks, and have a great day.